You're listening to Regen Reports for Puma. When it comes to health and safety, does the West know best? I think it's important for us from the north to recognize how much people on the ground are trying to improve. That is because people are striving for improvement, striving for livelihoods and prosperity. Can you tell me more about the role brands like Puma plays? I always say that making things right, it's not a competitive advantage for Puma, it's good for the industry. I'm your host, Monica Buckening, Head of Knowledge Exchange at Centre for Sustainable Fashion, a research centre based at London College of Fashion, University of the Arts London. My work at the centre focuses on working with industry and other non-academic partners to drive climate, social and racial justice forward. For many years, fashion production has been on a race to the bottom. In order to maximise profits and make more money for shareholders, the industry focused on producing more for less, creating pressure across the entire supply chain to cut costs wherever possible, even at the expense of people's safety. It all came tragically to a hit in 2013 when, in Bangladesh, the Rana Plaza building collapsed, killing 1,134 people and injuring many more. Rana Plaza was the biggest tragedy the fashion world had ever faced, and a turning point for many, including myself. Now, on the 10-year anniversary, I want to understand how the image it imprinted on us shapes our perceptions of worker safety today, what progress has been made, why don't we hear more about that progress, and how different industry players contribute to the well-being of the people who make our clothes. Thank you for joining me, Adlaw. Could you explain what it is that you do? What I do, I work for Puma for the past 11 years, and I've been in the sourcing industry for the, probably 30 years now. And what I do at Puma, I look after sourcing activity and sustainability activity, making sure that we interact the right way with the suppliers, make the best product possible for the consumer in the most safe way for the factories and the workers. Can you tell me a little bit more about what sourcing is? So sourcing is basically coordinating between what the designers would like to offer to the consumer and making sure that we find the right partners to make the product and produce the product and deliver the product to the source. I usually call us the wedding planners. We make the impossible possible for the business, but making sure that we do it the right way. I love that term, wedding planners. So you're sitting almost between the designers and what they do and the manufacturers. So that's one of the topics I would like to explore with you today, particularly around manufacturing. When many people think about factory working conditions today, they think about Rana Plaza. Can you tell me more about the tragedy from a sourcing perspective? I know Bangladesh for over 30 years. My first time in Bangladesh was in 1994. And Dhaka, those days, there was no car. People had no shoes. So it was really very, very underdeveloped country. And I've been working with the Bangladeshi's partners before Puma, so other companies, for a long time. What is very impressive in Bangladesh is the fact that the country has taken its own destiny on himself. And most of the industry in Bangladesh is really managed by Bangladeshis, which is quite unique in Asia because usually you have a lot of foreign direct investment from Taiwanese, Koreans, Chinese across Asia. But in Bangladesh, it doesn't really happen. It's really Bangladeshi people really develop their own country. So back in 10 years ago, certain part of the industry, certain part of the manufacturers were in a space where 
that we didn't have the education or the money or the knowledge to really understand the risk of manufacturing under poor condition, which led to the Rana Plaza disaster. Puma had no production in Rana Plaza at that time. We already had extremely engaged suppliers who were really putting building safety and workers at the heart of what they were doing. But in reality, it was not really the norm in Bangladesh. So Rana Plaza has been a big wake-up call for the industry, for the Bangladeshis and for the brands, not coming as the one imposing something to people on the ground. Bangladesh would be working together with the Bangladeshis to help them to transform the way they were manufacturing. And it started with the building and with the health and safeties. Back then, 10 years ago, there was an initiative called Accord, which is a cross-brands and partners initiative that really wanted to work together to audit and evaluate the situation of building safety in Bangladesh to make sure Rana Plaza would never happen again. Yeah. Through that accord initiative, brands together work with the manufacturers to help them to improve, to make sure the, the working place for the workers became safe. And it was a five years independent legal binding global framework agreement. It was between the global brands, the retailers, the trade unions, mm. and that was designed to build a safe and healthy Bangladesh structure for the manufacturers to operate. So actually it was about brands, trade unions, manufacturers coming together to work out a response to the Rana Plaza incident, but also worker safety more broadly. How is it now? I would say the industry as a whole and the government of Bangladesh and the investors in Dhaka really done a lot to really transform the way people work in the factories and make it safe for the work. Third party do evaluate the building because we rely on neutral experts to go to the factories and have a view for us and for the manufacturers as well. So they have an independent evaluation of how they perform from a safety standpoint. Mm. Today, I think it's much better. I would encourage people to take the time and travel to Bangladesh. I give a lot of credit to the Bangladeshis because they took it extremely seriously and they didn't want the disaster to repeat. And I really would love to have better coverage on how much people in Bangladesh really manage to transform the way they operate today. It's not perfect and it's constant improvement, but they have done a lot of effort. And this year, when the Rana Plaza anniversary happened, for sure, it's a good reminder for all of us to make sure that we operate and we help them to operate the best way possible. But I would have loved as well to hear some stories on how much people in Bangladesh took it seriously and be transformed. And I think this is something, hopefully, that's going to come much more to the attention of the public because it's a country that has done so much in terms of infrastructure, in terms of transformation, that they deserve to be acknowledged for all the work they've been doing. I think that's a really important point to pick up is that so often when we think of worker safety, it doesn't acknowledge the role that factory workers and managers themselves play and how important it is to make sure that they're acknowledged and celebrated for the work that they've done. It's really interesting to hear your experiences and that contrast between 10 years ago and today. Leading on from that, is it fair to say that our perceptions of factory work as people in the global north are outdated? If I would be politically correct, I would say probably no. If I'm really myself, I would be saying yes. I live in Asia now for 30 years and I really spend a lot of my time going to the suppliers, being at the factories, would it be in Asia, but also in Latin America, in South Africa, and even in Europe. People would be surprised if they would come and see how much improvement happened in the factories. For a few reasons. A, B, 
because people on the ground got educated and they decided to take their destiny under their own hands. B, governments locally really also took it very seriously and provided also support and directions to the business people, but also to the brands, which is a good thing. But as well, as the world becomes a bit more of a village, people travel and they see the world and they also have a desire to have better lives. Yeah. It's also linked to the fact that not only in Bangladesh, in Vietnam, but also Cambodia, manpower is not getting less, but people have higher expectations because they have access to higher possibilities. So their expectation when they go to the factories is also better working environment. So it's been a push globally from the north to tell people on the ground, you have to do it better, but also people on the ground say, we want to also have better conditions. And again, I think it's important for us from the north to recognize how much people on the ground are trying for themselves and are trying to improve and to make the development valid. It's not perfect, but it's really going into the right direction. And they need this recognition because they put so much effort on daily basis under our pressure, but under also the perception from the north, Mm. which today is probably not the right anymore and needs to be adjusted. I think it's really important what you've said that while there have been changes as a result of the pressure from brands and the pressure from the global north, it is because people are striving for improvement, striving for livelihoods and prosperity and the kinds of lives that they want to lead. We talked a little bit about the transformation that's happened over the past 10 years. Can you tell me more about this transformation and how it was brought about? So if I look at the way manufacturing is happening today and something I would never have expected to see in my career, because I'm not young anymore, so you know, I was not thinking that this industry could transform that much. But today, when you go to the manufacturing floor, automation is becoming something of a norm in the suppliers' landscape. So in the past, you would have seen workers cutting fabric by hand. Now it's all automized with fantastic laser-cut machines. There is definitely no risk when you cut fabric anymore. It would be risk for them to cut their hands. That This today is in the factory we operate doesn't exist anymore. It brings a, a better safety to the workers and be much more efficiency from the factory standpoint. And then if you go into the sewing parts, manufacturers, you see also a lot of automation coming along the way. And then on top of it, if you look at the environment factories in Bangladesh to develop in Vietnam and Cambodia, you have much more of cooling system, air cooling system, which 30 years ago, temperature inside the factory would have been really difficult to sustain. Definitely, there's been a lot of work being done to make the working condition much better. But there's also been investment partly in Bangladesh to provide help for the mothers when they come back to work with daycare facilities for the kids and for the babies. I saw that also recently in Mexico. This is part of the investment managers of the factory have been doing over the past few years, simply because also they realized that to have good workers, happy workers, more efficient workers, you need to provide also for them better working conditions. So it makes sense from a human standpoint, but it also makes sense from a business standpoint. When you talk about daycare, air conditioning and automation, are you talking about a few of your factories or the majority? Honestly, the majority today. And again, because our partners have been with us for so long that they have built that over the years. So it's really the majority of the factories we have today across Asia, but also in Latin America and other parts. There also has been recently in Bangladesh the kickoff of an employment injury scheme, which is a pilot scheme where we contribute putting money to a fund to provide regular income to people being injured from a factory standpoint or dependent if there is fatal accident. Because we know when there is an injury in the factory, for sure, today, the environment, what is around the workers, do not provide them in enough income if they get injured or if sadly they die from work. So there are 
not just on building safety and health safety for the workers, it's also going beyond that, making sure we can also support this. It's particular for Bangladesh because we recognize there was a lack of funding here to help the workers. It's a pilot scheme at the moment. We'll see how it goes, but if it's proven to be a good one, then we continue to contribute. You've said that standards like these are led by Bangladesh industry and governments, but can you tell me more about the role brands like Puma plays? S industry 30 years ago was really working as buying commodities. So you would go one day to supply A and second day to supply B, and it was really about you know, what is the cheapest price. I remember a long time back, some of the retailers had this habit to do reverse auction, putting 10 suppliers on the auction, and the one who had the cheapest price would get the business. That was honestly, I would say criminal, that would be too extreme, but that was really not smart. And today it's really about the reverse. We've been talking a lot with our other friends and competitors because it's an industry effort. It cannot be just one brand. We have to really go collectively because we share suppliers. They work for multiple brands. The way we build the relationship with the vendors has been extremely loyal and constant and working on long term. So basically we have a limited number of partners globally, many of them in Asia for sure, but those partners in Asia have been supporting us in the manufacturing, in making a product for the past 10 years. And it's about 25 of them in Asia really helping us. These 25 suppliers represent approximately 80% of what we produce globally. When we grow from the 3 billion to the 8.5 billion we did last year, basically we grew with the same partners. So we've been working with them on long-term plans, sharing with them the visions, sharing with them the quality we wanted to have, sharing with them the type of product we wanted to have. So at the back, they could build the manufacturing capability aligned with the strategy of Puma. We also would be able to share part of the profit we are having because at the end of the day, if you want your partner to grow, they need to make money. If they don't make money, they cannot grow. And so they can make the necessary investment in terms of machinery, working conditions, education, because they have the commitment for us that we are here with them for the long term. We also help and learn from each other. And that also to me is critical. And we've been learning a lot from our manufacturers when it comes into sustainability in particular, when it comes into social, environmental, but also quality, because at the end, they are the ones in the kitchen cooking. We are dreaming of a recipe, we are dreaming about a dish. But basically, they are the one being the cookers and really making things happen. I always say that making things right, it's not a competitive advantage for Puma. It's good for the industry. It's not for us. It's really for the greater good. And if we don't make it collectively, then the industry will not survive collectively. It sounds like there have been big changes in the past 10 years, especially in response to Rana Plaza. As a counterpoint to this, according to your 2022 sustainability report, you reported two fatalities at Puma suppliers. How did these come about in reflection of all these changes? Last year, we had two fatalities, actually. It was definitely not something that was of uh, positive news for us. And if I remember correctly, the cases that was really accident, it was, was not really related to building safety. It was really accident, uh, but for sure, definitely something that uh, would have hoped not to happen. And we keep an eye on that. So one, one store order dropped a 20 kilo fabric bundle mistakenly and through an emergency windows. A worker outside was hit and unfortunately died from this event. Another one is a worker who was electrocuted in the gen- genital room and that caused him to fail and sustain fatal injuries. 
So for both cases, the factories pay the legal compensation to the workers' family, and we collaborate with Better Work Bangladesh for joint monitoring and regular follow-up on the actions taken to prevent future occurrence of such accidents. Mm. We have a target to reduce the accident rate at 0.5% for Puma and our suppliers. We also have made building assessment in certain factories in Indonesia, India, Bangladesh, and Pakistan. For the accord, what we rely also on party to do it for us. As our people are sitting in a lot of the factories or being on site on a daily basis, they also have to keep an eye what's happening and report back. Yeah. We also have a hotline for the workers that they can also reach out and share with us any concerns, not just on social, but also on safety. We haven't got any reports from any workers on building safety last year, but we had different reporting on the social part. I think that's really important that the workers are included in the conversation around their own safety. Of course, they're the ones impacted by it. And while it wasn't anything to do with the building itself, it was accident within the workplace. I want to know what your take on overproduction and actually reducing the amount of clothing that we produce in relation to health and safety and to making sure workers have prosperous lives as part of this. So if you look at the world, definitely the North Hemisphere has been consuming a lot and probably is going to have to consume less. Meanwhile, you have people from Bangladesh to Indonesia, which are big countries to India, who now want to consume because you have this young generation. So to me, it's going to be a rebalancing act. Mm. What I believe as well is technology is going to help and is helping already to minimize overproduction by better planning. You had this movement across the manufacturing base, specifically for the big manufacturers, and I'm thinking to about two or three, which are really big ones, you know, a billion, two billion, three billion US dollar value. These people have been building very significant team into looking at AI automation and machine learning to really minimize overproduction. So that the next big challenge for us is this tech transformation through planning, through data to avoid this overproduction. But at the same time, making sure that people from the South have now the chance to enjoy what we have enjoyed now for the past 40 years. I'm curious, what do you think the next generation living and working in these countries will achieve and what do you hope for them? People need to go and travel and meet these people. So you see the level of engagement and the level of commitment and the desire they have for a better life is really substantial. Yeah. And they really look at what can they do for their own country, what can they do for their people, but also what can they do to develop themselves from an economical standpoint for their country, mm. to build their own uh, independence from international brands and international players. It is something that the yoga generation is very, uh, very much looking forward to because they really want to have the capability to get a better life, closer to the life they perceive from us in the northern part of the world and something which is adapted to their own environment and all their own countries. If I look at Bangladesh today, are people globally in everything we have, would it be from Vietnam, Cambodia, Bangladesh, or China, our local people? Bangladesh, our team is consisted of 35 Bangladeshis. The management is Bangladeshi, the team is Bangladeshi. The same applies to Cambodia, to China, partly to Vietnam, to Indonesia, to Mexico. Because we recognize that to manage conditions in the environment, it has to come from people from this country, not from us. Mm. We provide guidance and help and sometimes the tools to improve, but we're not going to dictate. It's very different. I'm a mother of three kids. 
you cannot dictate to your kids what they're going to have to do with their life. You have to provide an education, guidance, and a frame so that when they're like a little bird, when they leave the nest, they can fly. This is the same thing here. To me, for the next generation, is how can we help them to be independent from us so they decide for themselves what is right for themselves? That's really critical to me. And then in going back to Bangladesh, which is a country I truly, truly love as a country, I'm so amazed in 30 years to see what they have been able to do, coming from nothing, really see where they are today. So the next generation, to your point, in Asia, people are 30 years old. They're hungry. They want to make it happen with a combination of what they learn through us to what they feel right for themselves. And this is going back to acknowledging and rewarding them with all the improvement they've been doing and keeping a hand to help them to get to the next level. It's not about us telling them. It's about themselves deciding with our help whenever they want, whenever they need what is right for them. And Lo, have you got any final advice? Believe in it, because some days are difficult. Having three kids in their 20s is also a very good motivation for me to continue to make it better. As there's one book that I read from Ricky Gervais that he published recently on Twitter where he says, remember, it's better to create something and be criticized than to create nothing and criticize others. And for sure, we get a lot of critics, but I still believe that we're going to continue, we're going to pursue, we're going to make it better. I believe in the industry, I believe in the manufacturing. I think it's a fantastic industry. There is a fantastic uh, journey ahead of us, but we need to work harder and we need to believe in ourselves. Staying strong, staying positive, but also recognizing that long-term collaboration, trust and equality essentially between brands and manufacturers is so important. So thank you so much, Anlo. It's been wonderful speaking with you today. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. What I found most insightful is hearing from someone who works so closely with manufacturers and suppliers. It's a balanced relationship between brand and supplier. You don't have one above the other and one below the other. It's much more about an ongoing conversation, an open conversation, and building long-term relationships and trust. For listeners, I think one thing I'd like people to do differently is changing our relationship to clothing. It's not just about the way it makes you look or the way it makes you feel, but actually it's representative of the people who did make your clothes. It's representative of all the transformations that have been made in the past 10 years in relation to Rana Plaza. It's really clear the amount of knowledge and skills and capabilities that have changed over the past 10 years. It's about loving your clothes and understanding where they come from, as well as their aesthetic, as well as the identity that you create through them, loving them for the skills and craft that went into creating them. You've been listening to Regen Reports for Puma. If you liked today's episode, please share it with your friends. There are 10 episodes about different aspects of the fashion industry, from climate action to women's rights and fair wages. Find them all by following Regen Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Puma publishes all of its progress, challenges and setbacks in its sustainability report. You can find the 2022 report online now by going to about.puma.com. There's only one forever. Let's make it better.